Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 317. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. Happy Halloween. Yes, we are wearing coordinating Halloween colors unintentionally, so it's good to see that. Orange and black. Yes, we are. You know, uh, I have this big bowl of candy for the kids coming by, and nobody's come by, uh-huh. so now I'm just going to have to eat all this candy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. Do kids not come by and trick-or-treat anymore? This, do, do, does anyone come by you? Well, we don't know because we put our car in the garage and keep the lights off. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> but in my neighborhood, there are a couple streets where kids go. Yeah. We have decorations, we have lights, we have music going, and people just walk by. I mean, we have a sincere pumpkin patch. Why don't they come by? Aww. Uh, well, the good news is that gives us time to reconnect. We haven't seen each other in a long time. And we're going to cover really great questions on today's show about why would high humidity cause hair to become flat? Does Vegamore Grow Hair Serum really work? Do you have to throw makeup away past the expiration date or can you keep it? Would hypoallergenic products contain nickel? And is there a way to protect your skull from hair color? Like your whole skull? Like the <laughs> bones? Maybe, yeah, maybe well, scalp, well, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's well, what they meant. You know what? It is Halloween. So yeah. Can you protect skulls <laughs> from hair color? Yeah. Totally appropriate. They knew, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, uh... We haven't seen each other in a really long time. Uh, First, you know, sad news. Our little lovely Kukla, who everyone used to hear clickety-clacking in the background, passed away. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. It's why I've been away from things. Yeah, yeah. We loved her so much. Um, And then you've been out of the country. I, for the first time ever, went to South America. It's a continent I had not been to, but I did a trip to Santiago, Chile and uh, Montevideo, Uruguay. Yeah, I saw your photos. It was very cool. You know, it's interesting. They don't speak a lot of English down there. (laughs) How's your Spanish? I can say watermelon, sandia. But, uh, you know, know, I I always wanted to learn every language. Yeah. But then I figured I couldn't do that, so I picked one word, and that one word was watermelon. So... (laughs) So I can okay. I can say that. <laughs> What's watermelon in Greek? Uh, karpuzi. Did you use your memory castle for that? <laughs> no, that one I just remember. <laughs> oh, okay. It is karpuzi. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Wassermelon in uh, German. You also know German. It's not as exciting. Yeah. No, no. Mm. Karpuzi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, karpuzi. <laughs> they eat a lot of watermelon in Greece. You know, if you're out there and you know some language that I don't know watermelon in, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, that'd be really fun. You know what else is really fun? Beauty science news. Yeah, let's hear some. Uh, The first article we have, benzene is in dry shampoos and was Unilever at the head of the issue. I'm just kidding. That's not what the headline says, but it's basically a recall of benzene-laced dry shampoos. Yeah, it turns out that uh, they detected some elevated levels of benzene uh, in some of their products, including 
Bedhead, some Dove, some Nexus, some Suave, some Rockaholic, and my old pal, Tressa May. Oh, wow. All the dry shampoos, they decided that were produced before October 2021, they decided to recall. Well, uh, you know, let me tell everyone what's happening. So this is linked a little bit, if everyone remembers, the fact that sunscreens, uh, specifically aerosol sunscreens, were uh, contaminated with benzene, and everyone made a big deal about this study that was released. Well, uh, now uh, these dry shampoos are laced with benzene, and they're not recent. This isn't a recent issue. As Perry mentioned, the products are from older production dates, but... Around this time, some producers of propellant for aerosol products notified the manufacturing facilities uh, for aerosols and said, hey, we have an issue. We have uh, benzene in the aerosol propellant, which is why we're finding benzene in aerosols. This is specifically an aerosol-related issue. And the challenge is the FDA limits the amount of benzene in products up to two parts per million because benzene is a carcinogen. And, you know, it was just an unfortunate uh, problem that happened that wasn't suspected to happen, but unfortunately it was there. And now uh, brands are doing their diligence and testing older products and trying to figure out uh, if they receive some of that high benzene containing propellant. At least the big and, brands are, you know, whether small brands are, yeah. not, they're probably not testing those. Yeah, maybe some big brands are. I don't want to say everyone is, but uh, it's great that Unilever is doing their due diligence on products that are over one year old. That's pretty cool. And they're coming back and saying, hey, these should come off of the market. Yeah, I read a article in Chemical and Engineering News about this, and they talked about how much exposure were people getting. Well, from for a manufacturing standpoint, there is a limit of like 1,000 parts per million. Um, and they said that the exposure that you would get if you used it in a, an enclosed bathroom and, and at, at a level would be about six parts per million, so or per billion, I guess, um, which is pretty low. So it's not a huge concern, but if you don't want to be exposed to any benzene and you have these products, uh, send it in for a recall. Yeah, that's what I would do. I remember getting that letter and being like, wow, I'm... That's a problem I don't want to deal with, and I don't have to now. Uh, and I also don't buy aerosol products, so in general, I think I'm okay. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you don't want to be around uh, this issue either in the past, you know, send them back in or future, just, um, yeah, I would avoid aerosols. Yeah, you don't need to use aerosols. And, uh, well, you know, in California, they restrict the VOC so much, the aerosols aren't great anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they're getting more and more restricted. Uh, So in California, by the way, uh, all products, whether it's an aerosol or not, are regulated by the uh, California Air Resources Board. And they have recently restricted dry shampoos uh, for the volatile organic compounds in them. And it previously had no regulations or restrictions, whereas hairspray had a restriction of 55%. It used to be 80% uh, a long time ago. That's back when hairsprays worked. Now now they're just filled with water. (laughs) Yeah, in other states, you can still get 80% VOC hairspray, which was the old limit. Uh, But uh, the new restriction for hairsprays is 50% coming up, and dry shampoos now have a restriction of 55%. Wow. Dry shampoos today are probably around 95% propellant. How are they even going to make that work? 
they're not, or oh. they're going to have to start using exempt propellants, which are pretty expensive. And just because a propellant's exempt doesn't mean it's good for the environment. 152A? Yeah, well, that's a, that is included in the VOC content, oh, but there are that? some okay. other propellants on the market that aren't qualifying yet under CARB. Uh, that some brands are using, but it's kind of expensive and I think cost prohibitive. So we'll see, but uh, expect your dry shampoos to change anyway, I guess. Yeah, I mean, ultimately they can use compressed air. The problem with that is that you run out of the compressed air uh, as you spray it. And so then the the pressure gets lower and lower the more you use it and eventually it doesn't work. Yeah. But it's more environmentally friendly. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Yeah. What'd you see this week? Uh, I saw... L'Oreal is being sued for hair straighteners. Uh, Yeah, I saw that. Turns out the plaintiff is suing L'Oreal for marketing a bunch of their products like motions and dark and lovely olive oil relaxer, organic root simulator for chemical hair straighteners, suggesting that her uterine cancer was caused or was related somehow to exposure of endocrine disrupting chemicals from the hair care products. And so it's sort of a correlation study. There was a study uh, in the journal of the National Cancer Institute, which associated hair straightening products with incidences of uterine cancer. That was reported, I think it was last month. Did we talk about that? No, we didn't. Uh, This is a pretty new, it came out while you were traveling. It did, yeah. And yeah, and this is a challenging um, issue. Have you been able to look into this at all, Perry? All like all I looked into is what it's a correlation study. Okay, so yes. there's no. I mean, they say in their lawsuit that it's because of exposure to phthalates and other endocrine disrupting chemicals, but there's no evidence that that caused any cancer. I mean, and it's very difficult to say, oh, this product was definitely the cause of cancer because even in the study they did, which. It's not a study. They just sort of reviewed data. They didn't ask people what brand of products they were using, so they don't know what chemicals people were exposed to, just that they used hair relaxers. So it could be a lot of anything. Yeah. Furthermore, as Perry mentioned, this is a real example of correlation doesn't equal causation. And I think there are a lot of challenges with this study. And they didn't say that, you know, hair straighteners does increase the incidence of uterine cancer. They said, wow, this uh, group of people who have also used hair straightener have a very small percentage higher occurrence of uterine cancer. And so we wonder if there is a link, but there also could be other things at play, such as uh, higher BMI, lower physical activity, earlier age of uh, first menstrual period. And by the way, these aren't things I'm coming up with. These are Uh, found in rebuttals on the study, but there's a lot of other things that could be at play. So just because someone has something doesn't mean it was caused by something. And as Perry also mentioned, we don't know what products it was. Uh, Hair relaxers typically use potassium hydroxide or sodium hydroxide chemistry. And that primary chemistry is not an endocrine disruption chemistry. The classes of molecules that they're calling out in hair straighteners in this lawsuit are also found in tons of other areas of our life. So it's hard to pinpoint that they came from this. And furthermore, hair straightener chemistry is not the same as uh, formaldehyde chemistry or the Brazilian relaxer uh, chemistry. It's a completely uh, different chemistry. So there wouldn't be any formaldehyde uh, participation in this. As far as phthalates go, I mean, the industry has gotten away from phthalates 
just just because they don't really need to use them. So yeah, it's it's unlikely that phthalates is a a component of this. This is a a great example of how the media blows another pu- publication out of proportion. Yeah, where they sensationalize this headline, and again, the study didn't say there was a link. They just said, hmm, this should be explored further, and guess what? It should be explored further. But it's it's also important to note that this is when you see something has reported that a lawsuit was filed, that doesn't mean the lawsuit proves anything, or it doesn't even prove a link. It just proves that some lawyer thought they could convince jurors that uh, maybe this person would get rewarded or a, a, a payday. And, you know, if somebody deserves it, that's certainly uh, they should get it. But it's easy to go after a big company like L'Oreal. It's much harder to go after some specious company that you can't identify that is maybe correlated with it also. So, Yeah, I mean, literally all brands who make hair straighteners should be lumped into this lawsuit. L'Oreal's not the only manufacturer. I'm, you know, if if you're going to go after someone. So, and actually, you know that brand Motions that used to be from the company I worked at, Alberto Culver. Oh, really? Yeah, so oh, somehow nice. Motions and Dark and Lovely were both Alberto Culver products. Uh, so they must have sold that portion off to L'Oreal. Yeah, I wonder who's culpable in this case. Would it be L'Oreal the current owner or previous owners? I think it's always the current owner. Uh, previous owners sort of sell everything <laughs> and they wash their hands of the whole thing. <laughs> Including the problems. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. Well, if there's one company that's really investigating in toxicology, I would believe it's L'Oreal. Yeah, we'll see how they do. Uh, you know, it might be some of those things they just settle just to get it out of the news. Yeah. Speaking of in the news. Celebrity Corner. So the last time we talked, Brad Pitt launched his line. Everyone was really upset about it. Yeah. Uh, but since then, Jared Leto has launched a line. Jared Leto. Now, is he the guy who played like uh, like the Joker or something like that? Like what is, or is he in like, who is this guy? I heard of him You know, before. I always, um, I know him. And if I saw his face, I'm like, yes, that's Jared Leto. Uh, he was a huge 90s, you know, actor probably uh, featured a lot in Tiger Beat, which I did not read. Oh. But anyway. Was um, he like I on con- 90210 or something? <laughs> I guess that's No, the- but a little bit later than that. But oh, okay, I always okay. confuse him with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. I feel like they kind of have some similarities. Ah, okay, okay. I can tell you don't know who that is either. I know Gyllenhaal, sure. He was, uh, yeah, I've seen, I, I've enjoyed his movies. So, uh, he's, yeah, he's you know, been- I saw him in person in LA oh, one time we used to go to the same workout place and Get I was waiting here. downstairs to go up and in and he had snuck out of the class a little bit early and he came down the steps and I was frozen really he's cute sure but I was just like wow I mean he had a presence about him he has a look about him too yeah he said bye to the ladies he walked within a foot of me to get out the door and then he came back in to get his parking ticket validated wow And when he left, I was like, did that really just happen? And they were like, yes. That just happened. And I was like, wow. And I found out he said hi to Mr. Cosmetic Chemist. Really? Yeah. They walked by each other and he was like, hey, man, what's up? And they did the bro nod to each other. It was pretty incredible. But anyway, so I'm pretty sure we're going to see more celeb launches. We predicted it December of last year. It's definitely happening full force. I think what we didn't predict, though, is the male product launches. 
there was a lot of female actresses or singers or such, but male actors and musicians getting into it seems like kind of a new thing, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, we've had uh, Jared, Brad, Ozzy, Idris. Who else? Harry Pete Styles. Davidson was uh, behind some brand. <laughs> yeah. My prediction. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> That's right. And it, it happened. Uh, so who do you think the next celebrity is to launch a product line? I'm going to predict Weird Al Yankovic, who's just got a biopic coming out, is going to do wow. a spoof launch of like a Cardassian. Right? Hers was a SKNN or something like that. He'll call yeah. If I was clever, I could think of something that he would do. Maybe but... Bones or something. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> Votes. Yeah. Well, if that I happens, could picture him doing something. Yeah. And it's easy enough to do, right? That's why these are happening more often. It's all you have to do is lend your name to some contract manufacturer and then they do the rest, right? Yeah. I'm going to predict Heather Locklear. Ooh. I think she's going to make a comeback. Haven't heard of that name in a while, but uh, if it happens, we will let you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's over, head over to Beauty Questions. First question comes to us from Sarah. Hey, Beauty Brains, this is Sarah from Berlin, Germany. That's the capital of Germany, by the way. First, thank you so much for your podcast. It helps a lot. My questions are, number one, I have fine, low-density, wavy hair, and while most people complain about their hair becoming frizzy in high humidity, mine turns limp and flat. What is the science behind this? And would silicones, uh, specifically amodimethicone, applied on the dry hair help or weigh it down even more? Yeah, so humidity is definitely a problem for all hair types, and it's worse for some hair types than others, depending on uh, what your hair problem is. But for yeah. fine and limp hair, when air is humid, water is going to be transported into the hair, and it's going to weigh it down even more. I think yeah. water is less of a problem for coarse or really dense hair or, you know, like I call it spaghetti noodle hair versus sure. angel hair pasta uh, because it can handle that water weight and that's probably going to conform to a more frizzy texture. Uh, but if your hair is fine and limp, your hair is going to be uh, even worse it's uh, when like, the high humidity comes. It's like, uh, you know, your hair gets tramp or matted down like when you're in the shower and it gets all wet, it gets matted down, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of research goes into how to mitigate this effect uh, within the hair fiber. And fortunately, there are some solutions, although they're not perfect. Well, silicone, of course, right? Yeah, silicone is, I think, the best ingredient for it. The challenge, and this is because it forms a protective coating over the hair and helps prevent movement of water inside the hair or movement of water outside the hair. So it kind of creates a little bit of shield. The challenge is if you have really fine, low density hair, silicones might be a bit much for you. So sure. you really have to search for a formulation that is really lightweight. I know Moroccan oil has their original formula and then they have like the super light formula. So you almost have to look for something like that. Amodimethicone is a bit heavy and sticky. Yeah. Uh, so I probably wouldn't recommend that, but I would look for cyclopentasiloxane or a, a really lightweight dimethicone. There are these products that have a blend of cyclomethicone and dimethicone. So you, you get sort of a blend. And the nice thing about cyclomethicone is it evaporates off over time. And so then you have a 
a, a lighter layer of just dimethicone. Exactly. And I know that there's movement towards silicone free and there's some natural plant-based materials. Again, it's going to be experimentation. We don't have a magic ingredient to recommend in the realm of plant esters because uh, they all feel very different and they're not necessarily as volatile as the silicones are. So they're going to remain on the hair. And uh, that's not bad, except if you have really fine low density hair, you know, it's going to be a challenge. So again, I think, unfortunately, you have to go into experimentation mode for that. And I would think a a daily conditioner would help a lot because it's going to leave an even a lighter coating uh, on the hair of your cationic polymers, your cationic surfactants, uh, and those could work too. Yeah. So unfortunately, Sarah, I wish we had better intel for you, uh, but I think it may require just some experimentation. Sarah's got another question. What ingredients would be right on top of the ingredient list, should be the main ingredients, of a good facial moisturizer? And do those ingredients you recommend differ from summer to winter? Mm. Facial moisturizer. I would say if I were using a facial moisturizer, I would definitely recommend an emollient at the top of the list. So, for example, caprylocapric triglycerides. Yeah. Octaldodecanol. Uh, things that are really lightweight, but they're occlusive on the skin without being too occlusive. And I think you can make really lightweight moisturizers with those. You can make really substantial moisturizers. If I were going from like summer to winter, I probably in the winter would look for a moisturizer that maybe has some additional butters added to it or more substantive things like that. But I, I would say just from a tactile perspective, uh, my favorite uh, moisturizers year round. And again, I live in California, which yeah. is a pretty uh, dry climate, uh, would be like a caprylocapric triglycerides or uh, one other really nice emollient that I like is caprylil caprylate caprate. Say that three times fast. <laughs> three times fast. Uh, yes, uh, I, I would agree those are shorter chain uh emollients sort of chain fatty emollients and and yeah those those would be nice and light but still effective you're you're not a big fan of petrolatum for the face or mineral oil for the face yeah i probably would choose something like that for the winter though yeah right and only because it's like pretty substantive and how about a humectant say uh, a sodium pca or even a hyaluronic acid i would say like a third or fourth on the list would be glycerin. You don't want it too high because sometimes that can have, especially if you're in a dry climate like I am, it could be worse for the skin. Sure. Uh, But you definitely want to see glycerin at the top of the list. It's not sexy, but it really works. Um, Hyaluronic acid, it's a good one, but depending on the weight of hyaluronic acid that was used in the formula, it could be good or it could be bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say like glycerin, I'm into like really economic things. Sure. Yeah. No, glycerin is my go-to. Although my, my go-to is nothing. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I say I was in Chile. They say the weather in Chile is very much like the weather in California. Interesting. How'd your skin react? The, it's very dry there. Did you Uh, find the need to moisturize? You know, I was staying in a hotel room and they had free moisturizer so yeah i just used whatever was there oh my gosh i think that's it i would i would use product but if it's not around me then i'm not going to use it 
It just doesn't even occur to me. You know, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist is the same way. He was yelling at me the other day because the dry spots are coming back on his hands. Yeah. And I'm like, I literally bought you the Skin Fix eczema hand treatment. And when you use it, you're happy. Why aren't you using it? And he was like, oh, yeah. And then he went to his medicine cabinet, which only has two products in it. Yeah. That's one of them, sure. along with a 15-year-old cologne bottle that he has. <laughs> Is it Michael Jordan cologne? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a cologne his grandpa got him, so it's almost oh, as bad. Gotcha, and gotcha. it's like he couldn't remember he had that. So it's like it almost has to be like out for him and sure. available for him. Otherwise, like he'll just complain about his dry hands. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Whereas I have several moisturizers. So I'm like in my bag, in my nightstand, in my backpack. Surprisingly, not in the lab, but that's oh. changing. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, just the difference between us. Well, thank you for that uh, question, Sarah. I hope that that helps. <laughs> yeah. Well, our next question comes to us from Annie. Annie says, hi, Beauty Brains. I'm curious what your thoughts are on Vegamore, especially their Grow Hair Serum. This brand has been spamming my social media feeds for months. Mine too. I know they can't claim to regrow hair, but they do claim to increase the appearance of hair density while reducing signs of shedding to bring you thicker, fuller looking hair. Can these ingredients really reduce shedding or is this snake oil? Do these products do anything? P.S. On that note, the Ordinary Multipeptide Serum for Hair Density makes the same claims, but is far less expensive. Do any of these serums actually do anything? Thanks for all that you do. Love the show. Well, I, I will say right off the bat, it's definitely not snake oil. No snakes were harmed in the making of Vegamore. <laughs> you never know with yeah. cosmetics, right? There are like bee venoms, you know, snake oil. You could imagine yeah. somebody actually having that. So It also can't be snake oil because they're Vegamore. Oh, yeah, vegan. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, but that's like a really... Really great question because there's a lot of these products on the market. For example, uh, the Ordinary Serum uses um, some peptides that have, well, we'll just call it some data behind them about, uh, you know, targeting stem cells, increasing blood flow to the scalp, increasing the look of hair density. Really, all soft claim things without saying things regrow hair. Right. And the fact is, in the United States, regrowing hair is a drug. These are cosmetics. They're really not supposed to say that. But is it really doing anything? If you look at the ingredients in here, uh, they have some classic ones which have, you know, popularly been said to have an effect. They're, they put caffeine in here. Um yeah. They so put, vasodilator helps increase blood flow. Right. Then they have a bunch of peptides. Oligopeptide 2, hexapeptide 40, SH peptide 9, hexapeptide 40, SH peptide 86. So they have a few different of those. And then the Vigna Radiata Sprout Extract. I think they put sprout extract because it, you know, sort of says, oh, it sprouts the hair. Oh, clever. <laughs> yes, very clever. So they have a lot of ingredients here where they can talk about what's going on. But I think to me, it's all just talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we even just look at the claims when it's talking about appearance, reducing signs, looking, you know, these are things that are um, implying the products may be 
doing it, but without really doing it. And, you know, in a way they're doing it because it releases the burden of proof, first of all. And secondly, they're not allowed to say those things. You know, when I was working on hair growth products, a lot of the work we focused on was reducing hair loss due to breakage. And whether you looked at the brand I worked for or literally all of the competitor brands in the very tiny fine print, it talked about reducing hair loss from breakage. And that's a real claim that can be supported. You you can't support hair growth claims in the U.S. So maybe it's something like that. Like maybe it is really reducing shedding from hair breaking off. Yeah, and that can easily be done by just making something a conditioner. Uh, Although looking at the ingredients in their formula, I I don't think that's it. I think it's just as simple as they say. Their claim is it increases the appearance of hair density. And that can be easily supported by just asking people to look at the hair before and after and say, oh, does it look like they have more hair density? And, you know, you can get people to say yes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So... I think it's the way that they talk about it. and But as far as is this making your hair grow, I would say there's no evidence that this is making your hair grow. But I think the most important thing is if you feel like it's making your hair grow, which is giving you confidence, I would try it, keep using it. And I, I think that's the most important thing. So I guess it does answer the question, do these products do anything? <laughs> Maybe they improve your confidence, but as far as yeah. making your hair grow, yeah, probably not. I don't know. I just know that, you know, I had a lot of hair loss a couple sure. years ago or last year, actually, from stress. And Mr. Cosmetic Chemist noted recently that I have a bald spot that's grown back in and I'm losing less hair in the shower and I'm like, that's weird. When I asked you if my hair was thinning, you told me no. But now he's like, oh, yeah, no, you totally have like a bald spot, which is so sweet of him, right? He's a smart but anyway, man. <laughs> um, you know, when your hair looks good, you feel really good. And that's why it's like, well, does it work? I don't want to say it, it doesn't work. I, you know, I like to be nice, um, especially since I know some of the vegan more people. Oh, uh, you but. You know, I mean, I think the most important thing is that your hair looks good and that in turn will give you confidence and you're going to have a really great hair day and thus have like a really awesome day and feel like you can do anything in the world. When your hair looks like crap, sorry for the French there. I mean, you just, you can't do anything, you know, and you don't, you want to hide, you don't want to make like big confident decisions, you know, but if you have a Kate Middleton hair day, like the world is yours. So (laughs) that's why I'm like, you know, if it, you like the way your hair looks and feels and you know you you feel like there's a difference keep going that's right people often tell you you look like kate middleton don't they i think a lot of it's the hair (laughs) and the follow-up question to the ps question was about the ordinary multi-peptide serum yeah i'm looking at it i think you could expect the same results from this one yes So, (laughs) although, you know, there is also some psychological effect. If you pay more for something, you think it works better. This is true. So, uh, you know, on a blinded basis, I don't think you could tell a difference. But if you know you bought this one thing for less money, you might not see the uh, psychological effect. Yeah, that's true. Great point. There's a lot of psychology in in formulated air and cosmetic products. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Well, thanks for that, Annie. And now we've got an audio question. Hi, Perry and Valerie. I just listened to episode 243, and the question about nickel blew my mind. 
I had no idea nickel could be present in iron oxides. My first question is, would products listed as hypoallergenic have no or little nickel? When I was tested by an allergist, it was imperfect since I couldn't return for them to check my skin tests and had to rely on pictures, but I was told I have a nickel allergy and grasses allergy. I had suspected I was allergic to oatmeal because I noticed that any skincare products I used with colloidal oatmeal ended up irritating my skin long term, but a scratch test showed I wasn't allergic to oatmeal. I learned from the list of high nickel foods the allergist gave me that oatmeal is high in nickel. Can I assume I'm highly sensitive to nickel? This brings up another question related to allergens, though I think I know your answer. Do I need to avoid any products with Sika, Sikaplast, or tiger grass on the label? If I'm allergic to grasses, do I assume I'm allergic to all grasses? Thank you so much for providing your expertise to us nerds. All right. Uh, lots to unpack there, huh? Yeah. Wow. Um, I'll just say from an overall perspective in cosmetics, for the most part, nickel is not a huge concern, although certain geographies require that you test for them in order to export products to that market or import products into that market, I should say. And I've never really found for it to be a challenge, but I also haven't used uh, plant extracts that may be known to be high in nickel. So I would say one product that we had to test and really watch for was hair color because The products are not only stored in aluminum tubes, and although they have a barrier lining in them, you want to make sure that no metals are leaching into the product. Additionally, hair colorants on their own can have some metal content to them. And so when you buy from a quality dye supplier, you get them tested for heavy metals and make sure that they're not um, containing heavy metals in them. And so another category aside from hair color that you may want to be careful of and contact the brand and see if they conduct nickel testing on a regular basis would be color cosmetics. I would like to think if you look at really big brands like L'Oreal or Estee Lauder, they're already doing that testing and may be able to issue you a, some kind of statement of compliance very quickly with that. But those would be the items I would probably be concerned about if I had a nickel allergy. Well, it's interesting that she says she has an oat allergy and then oat can have nickel in it so it wasn't really clear does she have a nickel allergy oh no she has a nickel allergy but she didn't test positive to oat however some oats can have high nickel content in them ah ah that makes okay it's understanding but as far as the question about hypoallergenic if it says hypoallergenic can you assume there's no nickel in it At least in the U.S., hypoallergenic is not a regulated term, and so it's really up to the manufacturer whether they are ensuring there's no nickel in there or not. It doesn't have to be nickel-free. You know, with allergies and cosmetics, it is really tough because the other thing you don't have visibility to is the sourcing strategy. So it's unclear... Um, you know, where people are getting their oat. Is it oat with high nickel content or low nickel content? And furthermore, uh, that's colloidal oatmeal. Is an oat extract going to have the same implications? It's it's really difficult to say. Yeah. Uh, Like likewise with the grasses, you know, I don't know what it is about grass that makes people allergic to it. So it's tough to say if that would be all grass type plants. The safe thing would be to yes, avoid grasses 
because there might be some common protein in grasses that are is causing the problem. That's most likely what the problem is. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the strategy. But you might be being more conservative than you need to be. I mean, it really just depends. And if you're finding that you're having a big problem and you still can't pinpoint what it is, I would just look to use really gentle products that, you know, are free from botanical extracts. They're free from grasses. They're free from fragrance and they don't have any uh, colorants in them, which will reduce any chance that they may have uh, heavy metals in them. That's right. Go synthetic, man. <laughs> Less chance of allergens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Marianne, uh, I wish you much luck with that. That's very difficult. I'm sorry you have to go through that. You know, Valerie, I prefer my oats to have quarters in them. Okay. Next question. <laughs> I don't know. Nickels. You know, nickel I is I personally the... like bananas, although oh. <laughs> sometimes blueberries. Nickel, that's the 28th element. Yeah. Wow. Look at that memory castle. Steel trap. <laughs> Yeah, not steel cut, steel trap. That's right. It's an, oh, that's an oatmeal, oatmeal joke. joke. I get it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. buy those uh, packets of oatmeal, and okay. and whenever I make, the, you know, I like I don't get just the regular oatmeal. I get the strawberries and cream or the blueberries, and whenever I make them, it, it you put it in, you put water in, you throw it in the microwave, and you you burn it for two minutes or whatever. And whenever I make it, it just the odor just wafts throughout the house, and uh, my wife starts complaining. <laughs> Because she hates the smell <laughs> of that She doesn't like oatmeal. it, huh? Are you making oh. that oatmeal again? <laughs> oh, my Sorry, gosh. Honey. Real fruit's the best. You got to get steel cut oats. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It sounds complicated, but uh, maybe yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for that audio question. Now we got question four. Comes to us from Megan from Patreon. We appreciate all of our patrons. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to support the show on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. We do prioritize patron questions. And here's Megan's question. Hi, I have a question. I dye my hair at home, and it's hard not to get some of the dye on my scalp. Is there anything I can do to put on my scalp beforehand to protect it? I found some products online, but not that many, and haven't found any in my local pharmacy. So it seems like maybe it's not that common, and it makes me wonder if there's effective way to do that. That's a great question. Okay, so she didn't say get it on her skull. She actually did say skull. Yeah. <laughs> we Thanks gotta, for that, Perry. I know. We got to fire our script writers. <laughs> yeah. You're fired. Oh, wait. Anyway, it's a great question, and it's really a problem that a lot of people who color their hair face because they either don't want to get their scalp stained, or maybe Megan's conscious of the fact that she's putting hair color, which is a reactive chemical on her scalp, and she wants to reduce irritation or just reduce her exposure. I, I totally get that. And unfortunately, there aren't really any products that you can put on the scalp beforehand to protect it. You can get barrier creams that you would put on your face around your hairline, Hmm. which will help prevent color from bleeding onto your skin in that way. But unfortunately, there's nothing you can really put on your scalp. Is this a big problem that people have? It is, uh, especially if you're doing it yourself because you're in, you're really, and really even if you get it done at a salon and the stylist wants to get as much of your hair as possible from where it's regrowing from, uh, they will just get it on the scalp so that there's very little regrowth showing. But if you actually look at hair color manufacturer directions, they tell you not to put it directly on the scalp and to apply it a quarter of an inch away from the scalp to reduce skin contact. Hmm. Uh, That's what they tell you. So uh, it's very difficult 
to do. And unfortunately, there's not this magic product uh, to help with that because it would impede the ability of the color to penetrate on the hair. Even if you had something that you could put all over your scalp uh, would also get on the hair. Right. Um, so I think really, Megan, what you have to do is focus on your technique. And that means focusing on the application with home hair color. It's a little hard because it comes in this, this shaker bottle that has a needle nose tip and you put your finger on it and you shake it up and then you kind of dispense it all over your hair. It's not very um, eloquent. And usually to get the underside of your hair, you have to go upside down and to get the side of your head, you know, you're just drizzling it um, on your scalp and then distributing it with your fingers, which is, you know, valid technique. Uh, there is one applicator device. I have um, had the opportunity many times to meet with uh, the owner of this company, uh, and she's become a friend of mine since uh, Dye Candy is the company. They actually have developed an applicator that allows application to be easier. You don't have to tip your head upside down. It actually works completely upright the whole way around your head. Huh. And the nozzle's at an angle uh, so that you can look at your hair in the mirror and make sure you're just getting it on your hair and not on your scalp, which is uh, pretty cool. It's reusable. You wash it out. And uh, I actually have one here. I've been meaning to uh, do a little Instagram post on it, but it's also a great way to get like a scalp treatment on your head uh, if you had a dedicated bottle for that. So I, I would try technique and maybe look at Dye Candy's device and see if uh, the hummingbird and see if that works for you. But huh. uh, just being careful really is the only effective way. Ah, it sounds complicated. <laughs> this is why I don't dye my hair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I used to color my hair, I, I'm going to be honest, I just popped it all over my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Root to tip all over the scalp. Uh, sure. You know, if, if I could I, do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have done that. But If I was coloring my hair, that's what I would do, too. Because That's what most people do. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it can't work. It's not the best best thing to do, though. Yeah, but uh, take a look at the hummingbird, and, uh, you know, maybe it's something that'll help you keep it off your scalp. I don't know. All right, we got one more audio question. Hey, beauty brains, Perry and Valerie. Love, love, love you guys. Michelle from Los Angeles here. I have a question about expiration dates. A lot of my liquid foundations say 12 months, um, all the way up to 24 months. Some of my cream foundations say 30 months. Sometimes they don't have any expiration date on them. Do I really have to throw a liquid foundation away if I've opened it once and squeezed it on a palette and used it on somebody and it's been over 12 months? Also, what about the creams? I know some of the cream stuff can smell a little funky because I think it has, uh, I don't know if it's castor oil or the ingredient in it that kind of turns like rancid after a while. The same thing with lipsticks. Obviously, if it smells weird, I understand that. And also, what about powders, eyeshadows and pressed powders? Like some of my eyeshadow palettes say 12 months or 24 months, but I'm just like, really? I have to throw away an entire eyeshadow palette after 12 months? Okay. Any information you guys have and insight? Thanks so much. Wow, Michelle, we're neighbors. Michelle from <laughs> LA. Oh, that's right. Well, this is a very interesting question about expiration date. First, it's not a law that companies in the U.S. have to put an expiration date. On a cosmetic. They have to be on over-the-counter drugs like a sunscreen. But actually, 
I have yet to see a cosmetic product that truly has a use-by or expiration date on it. In the EU, however, they do have to put expiration dates on her. Used no, before. not necessarily. No? Don't uh-uh. they have to put that little container that says how long it'll last after you open it? That is not an expiration date, Perry. Oh, right. That <laughs> is a use-by date once you've opened it. It's called a period after opening container. It actually doesn't tell you when the product expires or when it was made. So let me get this straight. So if you buy a product and then you just leave it in your cabinet unopened for five years and then you open it, it's still going to be good for like the PAO? I'm like, That's why I think it's so confusing. So yeah. Michelle is saying liquid foundation says 12 months up to 24 months. I don't believe that that's an expiration date. I think she's seeing that little symbol you're talking about that says 6M, 9M, 12M, okay. 24M. And that's once you open it, how long you're allowed to keep the product. The expiration date's totally different. The expiration date has to do with the product preserved, unopened, on a shelf. And the day of manufacturing to the expiration date is usually two years, sometimes three years. Um, but then within that, once you open a product up, if it says 6M, you should not use it after six months. You know, mascaras have very short period after opening symbols, maybe mm-hmm. three months, um, 3M on them. So they're very different dates. And again, it's hard because, yeah, if you have this product in your bathroom cabinet for a handful of years and then you open it up and it smells funky, but it says 12M is period after opening, do you proceed it? It's kind of not fair. So really, uh, you have to do detective work and figure out when a product was manufactured. And what you can do is call the brand and say, hi, I have a product with this batch code or lot number printed on the bottom of it or on the side or wherever you can find it. It looks like a little inkjet printing. And you can say, can you let me know when it was produced or when it expires? And a brand should be willing to tell you that. Um, and that can help you. Here's a, a nice heuristic you use. If you open it and it smells funky, don't use it. <laughs> you know, it's because yeah. uh, it's probably gone rancid. And it just smells bad, and it's going to make you smell bad. So those those we can say, okay, get rid of it. Now the question is, is this something that has gone past its you know twelve months or fourteen months date? Is it still good? If it smells okay and you don't see any obvious mold growth on it. Or separation issues or funkiness. Yeah, it's probably still okay. I have a friend. He owns a company that manufactures uh, pressed powders, loose powders. And he says, powders never go bad. He's like, they're almost good forever. Like, you know, maybe a couple exceptions, but for the most part, powders are fine. I've had a blush palette uh, for over 10 years and it still looks good to me. Um, You know, of course the most conservative person will say, but you have to worry about spores and blah, blah, blah. For the most part, I feel like it's fine. Yeah. Especially inorganic things like that. Right. I could see, you know, there, if you see any obvious mold growth or something like that, uh, it's probably, you should get rid of it. The other thing is, if you've had a product for three, four years, there's no no bad reason to get rid of it, but you just probably don't have to get rid of it. Yeah. I, would, I mean, it kind of comes down to common sense. As a cosmetic chemist, when I'm doing a stability test in various conditions, whether it's cold or hot, 
I mean, the magic thing is, has it changed in color, odor, appearance, and is anything else glaringly wrong with it? Right, right. And you kind of use your eyeballs for most of it. Yeah, you look at some some values, but for the most part, it's a, a personal evaluation. And so I feel like if you, that's what we do in the lab, I think you can do that with your products, especially if you're pretty familiar with them, and probably be just fine. And companies are sort of motivated to have quick expiration dates to get you to exactly do that. You throw it away and buy something new. There's um, also a really cool website. One of the websites is checkcosmetic.net. No www or anything. It's just checkcosmetic.net. And there's a couple other ones out there. But anyway, these are ones where you select the brand or you could do a brand search, enter a code, and they'll come back and tell you when they think it was produced or when they think it expires. Uh, they don't have every company, um, but for the most part, you can type in the pr- company's product that you bought, and they can uh, decode from the lot number when it was produced because most companies have some sort of systematic naming to their lot numbers. It's pretty common almost at every facility I've worked at. It's rarely an arbitrary number. Uh, But anyway, this a lot number helps trace it back to the manufacturing date and what facility it was produced at, even what production line it was filled on. Like it really traces it down to the equipment that was used. Yeah. Anyway, um, this website can help you trace that. But if it's not on the website, call the brand. They should be willing to disclose when that product was made. They should be. But if it smells all right, it looks all right, it's probably going to be all right. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's all the time we have, Perry. We do. I've got to go see all those trick-or-treaters or or just start (laughs) eating all that candy myself. Yeah, mail me some. We didn't buy any this year. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Well, it was great to see you again, Valerie. Great recording. We'll try to do more. You know, in in November, there's... uh, five wednesdays in november so if we record i think every we're gonna wednesday. get five episodes out yeah <laughs> we'll see we'll, we'll try our best thank you so yeah. much for everyone for listening if you get a chance please head over to apple podcasts and leave a review for our show that's going to help other people find the show figure out if they should listen to it which the answer is yes and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer and if you have a question just record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com and we'll play your audio on the show and answer the question additionally the beauty brains are on patreon if you wanted to get your question answered in a higher priority go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe at any level we appreciate all of our patrons you help keep the show going and you keep us ad free also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts on Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains. We have a Facebook page. And maybe in 2023, a TikTok. 2023. You know, when I get to LA in December, which I'll be there, and we're together, we'll just do our own, we'll do a TikTok together. Yeah, we're going to have to take lessons first. Right, we will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>